Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Johan Bollen. He is Professor of Informatics at Indiana University School of Informatics and Computing. And he's just given a talk here at Urban Mental Health, all about well-being and mental health and social networks. Um, so, Johan, I wanted to ask you, social media is causing mental illness, true or false? Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily the right question to ask. In some cases it is. Yeah, I think that we've seen increases in mental health issues and they do seem to be correlated with increased, so there's a, there's a, there's a size effect, uh, uh, increased usage of social media environments. So the correlation has been established, it's pretty strong, but we just don't know in what circumstances, uh, for which demographics, etc., that effect takes place, whether it, you know, it takes place, you know, uh, across all of these demographics. So we don't quite know what causes the effect. That always makes me a little weary. But the studies that we've seen so far do seem to suggest that at least for certain demographics in certain situations, uh, use of social media can be, uh, can be a negative in terms of mental health. And you use big data sets and machine learning. And you were talking about a study where you looked at something called effect labeling. Tell us about that. Yeah, effect labeling is this uh, technique uh, that's well known for psychologists interested in uh, emotional regulation. And the technique essentially consists of putting your feelings into words, like uh, putting a label on your feelings and expressing that label. And that's been shown to be quite effective in reducing negative emotions and even you know, fears towards phobias, etc. And it's, uh, it's considered an implicit emotion regulation uh, uh, technique in the sense that you don't have to believe that it works for it to be effective. And uh, it's also something that you know, most people can uh, remember. It's not a very complicated technique. And, uh, and it's effective regardless of whether you believe it works or not. So it's something that uh, you know, I've, I've tried it myself. So perhaps you make your friends less happy by telling them how you feel when you're, when you're, uh, when you're having a negative emotion. But at, at the very least for yourself, it does downregulate, it seems to, seem to downregulate emotions quite well. So tell us about that Twitter study that you were presenting in the talk. What we did on the, on the Twitter study is that we looked for tweets that were um, uh, instances of affect labeling for, where users said literally, I feel, and then followed by a negative or a positive term. We had a limited set of positive and negative terms because we only wanted to focus on very, very unequivocal uh, expressions of people experiencing a strongly positive or strongly negative emotion. And then we analyzed the tweets that these individuals wrote before and after the affect labeling. So we can then use natural language pro uh, uh, processing techniques to assess how positive or negative those tweets were and then track the, evolu uh, the, the evolution of the emotion as it sort of waxed and waned before and after the, uh, the affect labeling. And what we found is that there does seem to be an interruption in sort of the dynamics of these emotion, emotions escalating that coincides almost exactly with the time at which the affect labeling takes place. So somebody says they're feeling good, they're happy, what happens after that? Yeah, that's perhaps sort of the, the flip side of the story that also seems to, according to our data, it seems to lead to a downregulation of that emotion. So when you're, you're feeling super good, perhaps you shouldn't commit to uh, uh, or do affect labeling. Um, uh, when you're feeling bad, then it's actually, uh, it actually seems to be quite useful because we see the same effect or it downregulates within 10 minutes. And you said early on in your talk that you threw away Facebook and that you're not on social media yourself and that you wouldn't recommend it for your family or friends. Why is that? Well, I, I would say wouldn't recommend it. I, perhaps, uh, you know, I was being a little, uh, you know, flippant. Uh, flippant when I said that. Uh, but, yeah, I do recommend to my family and to my friends that they use social media a little less. I think that's, you know, it's, I, I think it's good to be cautious about these things because the, the, the studies that we've seen so far do seem to be indicative of a correlation between increased social media use 
and uh, negative mental health outcomes. And in, in cases like that, I think it's, even though we don't know the causative effects, we, and again, I mentioned we don't know what demographics this is most relevant for, I think it's, it's, it's good to be cautious. And really, you don't need to be on social media that much. So I blogged about a study by Andrew Shabilsky and Amy Auburn from the Oxford Internet Institute a few months ago that basically showed we don't really know at all yet because the data is so poor. We don't really know whether social media causes or, or helps mental illness. And their kind of conclusion was it probably does both. And actually, it's more to yeah. do with the, the thing that you do on social media. Possible, yes. So what, what do you think about the actual type of activity that different social networks are kind of promoting, you know, the mindless scrolling of Instagram or the kind of here and now conversation of Twitter. Yeah, some of the, um, if you look at the interfaces, some of them have specifically been designed to be as addictive as possible, to be as sticky as possible, because these platforms, of course, want you to spend as much time on their platforms as you can, because it, you know, that, that increases advertising income. Um, but it's perfectly possible that social media, when used correctly, well, I would say correctly, but uh, under certain circumstances for certain demographics, might be useful. For example, for the elderly, it might be a great tool to stay in touch with their family. They might derive uh, uh, a lot of benefit from social media use. While for teenagers, on the other hand, it might exacerbate uh, stressors that they're already experiencing, for example, in school and in their social lives at a time when they're, they're still developing their social skills and, 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 and their abilities to deal with these stressors. And, and, and for, for that demographics, it might be much more negative than, 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 uh, than what we would think right now. But, but it's perfectly possible that, for, for example, the elderly and, the, and adults using it for uh, professional applications, that it's a net, po a net positive. So we just don't know. And uh, our research group is actively looking into uh, for example, the, the happiness paradox that I discussed, we're, at, we're actually uh, perform, uh, 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 re replicating that analysis, but for separate demographic groups to see whether that effect is, is quite as strong uh, across, not, not just in terms of age, but also in other demographic uh, indicators. What about using social media to actually detect and diagnose mental illness? Yeah, I think that we've just scratched the surface on that. And I mean, there's, again, there's been some really strong papers published recently where they showed that, that it is possible to reliably predict uh, whether someone's suffering from depression according to their, according to their uh, mental health records from the language that they use on Facebook or the language that they use on, on Twitter. And those results are actually quite strong. It's a, you know, the, 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 of course, there's the danger of overfitting. For example, we don't know why these classifiers necessarily classify someone as or predict that someone is depressed versus not depressed, right? I mean, in a sense, they're black boxes. So we don't quite know why they do this, but the, um, uh, yeah, I think we've, what we have now is sort of the good indications that detection is possible and, and even prediction might be possible. And I think the, the terra incognita of all of this is the, the ability to understand the dynamics of how these mental health issues come about, how they evolve, and then possibly also learning how to mitigate them before they, uh, uh, they, they wreak havoc with the lives and the productivity of um, you know, apparently millions of individuals. Fascinating work. Thank you very much for speaking to me. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.